0: Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, they'll help you unleash your inner decorator.
1: I'm Caroline. I write the How to Decorate blog. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm
2: Karen. I head up Ballard's branding team. (laughs) We're your hosts.
0: Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world.
1: Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of the show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at
0: BallardDesigns.net.
2: Yes, we love answering them. And now on with the show.
0: Okay, so it is the last day of our Nashville week. And I, you know, I am struggling to even pin down what exactly today's guest does because he does so many things. He's a trained architect. He has a um, interior design firm, but he's also a partner in the celebrated architecture firm, McAlpine. he has a furniture and lighting line and now he has his first book, Evocative Interiors, with Rizzoli. And um, we are just so thrilled to have you. You, I Were you the impetus for moving um, or opening the McAlpine studio in Nashville?
3: Well, um, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. It's a pleasure to get to talk with you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't claim that one. So... I, I had worked uh, with Bobby McAlpin. I, I had interned with him, really. He had been one of my first architecture professors. And, you know, I, they weren't ready to hire when I graduated uh, from Auburn in Alabama. And so we were working with John Saladino up in New York City. And Bobby said, go work up there for a while. And, you know, it was maybe a year or two um, He started calling me and came to visit, said, OK, we're ready for you to come back. You know, an Alabama boy up in New York City going to go back to Montgomery, Alabama. So I said, you know, Bobby, I just can't do it. And fortunately, we remained good friends. And about 10 years later, he invited me back, but this time as a partner. And so I said, absolutely. I was kind of hitting my own, you know, glass ceiling in in New York and trying to figure out what the next step was. And McAlpin's always been um, a firm that I've held in such esteem, having cut my teeth there. And so I went back to Montgomery and indeed, you know, the first two years I was in Montgomery and I thought I could figure it out being an Alabama boy coming back to Alabama, but hadn't taken into account 10 years in New York and what that, how that changes you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried in my soup for a couple years, um, but it was Bobby that actually uh, he had met his then partner uh, in Nashville. And we, we've had this great fortune of different cities adopting us over our our work uh, history. And so at that time, Nashville, we were doing a lot of work there in Nashville. And Bobby said, I'm moving. You know, who wants to <laughs> <up?"> and, uh, <laughs> a dear partner, Susan Ferrier at that time. And Susan and I were living together in uh, Montgomery. She was in- Oh my
0: a- gosh. We love Susan. Back
3: and forth. And uh, so she and I zipped up there Got a one bedroom apartment. I slept in the dining room. She had the the bedroom and McAlpin in Nashville began that way.
2: So glamorous. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Literally. I mean
2: when you you, (laughs) when you read your books, it's hard to believe that there's behind the scenes things like that going on.
3: Oh mercy. Uh, Everywhere (laughs) in every
2: place. (laughs) Mercy. You are a Southern boy. Mercy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that is such a like fun way to start because I feel like going from that one-bedroom apartment to your incredible house that's called Traveler's Ridge in your book, I mean, oh, I just have so many questions. It blew me away. Oh, I And also, I just have to mention, everybody, that um Ray did a... And you know what? I just realized, I don't think I even said your name in the intro. Uh-huh. I guess today is Ray Booth. Oh, hi. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i figured by the time
0: someone looked at this that
1: his name would they, be written yeah, in the description they've already seen the name but um
0: <laughs> you did an amazing tour for us of your um sort of main living room that is on our instagram tv so if you want an extra little peek at his house travelers ridge then you go check that out but um oh, i just have so many questions about your house but maybe you could kind of give people a little primer on the backstory because it literally came out of the ashes and I think that's pretty cool
3: <laughs> literally like a Phoenix um, so uh, my my husband John and I um, we had moved to Nashville we had a teeny tiny little condo that we had just renovated downtown seems like all my stories start with a little little itty- bitty apartment um, <laughs> and they kind of do um, but I said to a friend of mine who's a real estate agent, you know, Kathy, in about five to seven years, I want to find a hilltop and, you know, I want to build a house. I want to exercise those architectural muscles. And, uh, you know, you've got to be careful what you say to a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Probably about five months later said, I found the perfect piece of property. It's not on the market. If you want it, you have to buy it on the spot. And this was uh, on a Saturday that she took me to see it. So we walked up, and granted, you you walk up, and there is this extraordinary view of downtown Nashville, which at the time was much smaller than it is now. There's Nashville growing and evolving, and um, as you walked up a little further, you saw all the charred ruins of a house that had been struck by lightning and burned to the ground. <laughs> oh. Whoa! You no, know, I was I was there without John and i got him on the phone we had to make a decision then and there and he said well can you build something beautiful there surveying you know chairs garden chairs that were in ruin and broken glass and and all the charred wood i said well i think so
2: (laughs) maybe (laughs) i know some guys
3: So that started our, our path. And we really, we held on to the property probably five years before we we did build on it, which gave me the opportunity to design probably about 30 different houses. You know, doing your own project is always so difficult. And then finally, it came the time we had to build and we landed on the design that we did and, and set to it.
2: How many square feet is it?
3: So it's about 5,200 square feet. Okay. Yeah.
2: And does that include your outdoor spaces?
3: No. no, no. You know, it's funny because the the house that had burned was much larger than the house that we built. And so we, we built the house back. We built it on the existing foundations, but we built it back from the outside perimeter. And that gave us all of these great outdoor spaces. So dining terraces and pool terraces that... Um, that we didn't need as far as real estate but we employed for the views and we don't really have a yard because the land just falls away so quickly so all these terraces became kind of a great way of us having outdoor space
2: but how do you make a a, such a generously sized home feel intimate for two people
3: well you know that's a great question and i think um you know it 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 goes down to layers and texture and proportion and scale. Um, You know, having, uh, you know, the house is fairly contemporary in its um, design. It's an open plan, glass on the back. Um, But we integrated things like the, the wood ceiling that's in the living room. And beautiful uh, textured stone that you walk in into the entry, and it's those textures and layers I think that give it more intimacy. And and it's how you furnish. I mean, you guys know that being at Ballard, what power that furnishings bring to an interior mm-hmm. or house.
0: One of the things that strikes me about your house in particular, but a lot of the houses in the book, and um, and you know, this is kind of something that I guess that McAlpine does a lot is like sort of a hybrid, I guess, of open concept, but also, you know, true rooms. And I, sure. because open concept is so common, but for example, in your house in Traveler's Ridge, um, you're, you want to like take advantage of these incredible views that you have. Yes. But for example, you put up this amazing screen that sort of divides your entry and, and um, living room. And I just love the way the rooms are laid out because it's not just one giant square that's an open room, right. but it's clearly open to one another. So maybe you could kind of talk about that a little bit and you know
3: why you know when you work with an open plan, a more modern plan, which does you know have a tendency to ramble, one room melds into the other, and I think that's very much how we live now we're We're not segregating ourselves into bits and pieces, but we're living, you know. More of a an integrated life, um, and so I think architecture is reflecting some of that. But given that, just like in um, in a, a good story, you need punctuation, you need pauses, you need things that come in that offer you a moment to stop, reflect, think, and then move on to the next stage or the next room. In this case, so that screen. Um, is a device that we use a lot. And, and indeed, you walk in the front door and there's a two-story living room that is focused on downtown Nashville. But you don't always want to play your cards right off the bat. You want to build in anticipation and anticipation and a beautiful sequence of spaces. So that screen is just this thin veil that you can kind of see where you're going. It alludes to, like any good story, you've got illusion that it leads you to that, that view, but it's not until you get around and you actually occupy the main living room that you're given that view unabashed. You know, it's just like there you, you've got it. So these devices, um, being it some sort of scrim or screens, um, you know, I, I think they are like punctuation in a good story or sentence. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Speaking of scrim. Um <laughs> where is this going right well i want to talk about i'm obsessed with your treatment of drapery because to me you don't use drapery like anyone else uses drapery you don't really use it just for windows and even when you use it on windows it's not like one would normally see they're generally sort of at one end Mostly always solid, I maybe saw two stripes. It seems like they're kind of a very thin material. Um, you're hanging artwork on them, using them as dividers. Talk about it a little bit. What's your philosophy on drapery?
3: Well, drapery is magic. <laughs> um, really, truthfully, it, it is this um, quality that you bring to a room. It, it is an emotional um, quality. And for that reason, we, you know, we do use them in ways, you know, I, I was trained as an architect, but I, most of my practice has been interiors, largely remains. So for me, drapery actually becomes an architectural device. It becomes a way of, as we were talking about before, layering space and creating those moments and that pause and that definition that you want to offer to an interior. Um but it also is that thing that that gives you that flutter, that comfort. Um, you know, we're all as humans, we're looking for things that comfort us. And I think that drapery has that tactile quality um, that just taps into everybody. It, it just calms and soothes and frames a view or or a room in some way that uh, that I think it's it's just a great. Device to get to use.
0: Do you is it is it in part because a lot of your spaces are so modern? I mean, huge walls of glass, stone surfaces, but then you have this like twelve foot expanse of drapery that's just like all yummy material. I mean,
3: yes, you know it, it. Any good? You know, I keep referring to these stories, but any good story or any good room has point counterpoint. You have hard surfaces you have soft surfaces you know to me playing between those contrasts and every step in between is what as we were talking about earlier how do you make something intimate and comfortable um, for two people or for 20. Um, i think it's using those um i don't want to call them tricks because they're certainly not tricks but using all the tools in your toolbox to to help bring those layers and intimacy to a space
2: Practically speaking, like, say, for instance, the drapery behind you, all of your drapery to me has a very similar quality. It's a lot of fabric pushed really close together with lots of ripple, 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 but real close. Right. Are you using a thinner material?
3: Always. Almost. Always
2: a thinner material, okay?
3: If we've got to get the function out of it, I'm using shades, uh, roller shades or Roman shades to do the blackout. Mm hmm. I never, it's like having a heavy brow. I never want thick, heavy drapery. I mean, there are occasions where it's appropriate to use it. But for the most part, you know, I feel like windows are the eyes to any interior in any house. And so to keep them light and translucent activates the room in a way that I think um, you want and you don't want to restrict, you don't want it to be heavy and burdened.
2: Some. Are you are you actually moving any of these draperies, or are most of them stationary?
3: You know, it's funny. We use the, we move them a lot, and we all rarely, rarely, um, only if someone's forcing a tight budget, do we make them stationary. Um, because even in a glass house, you know, in the winter, uh, when it's dark outside and it's cold, just being able to pull that layer over that wall of windows just gives you that calm and that peace and that warmth that that you need. Even though it is a, a gauzy drapery, it does kind of emotionally wrap you up.
0: One of the things you talked about in the book, and um, I loved the examples that are in Traveler's Ridge, is you talk about mundane spaces. Mm-hmm sort of those working spaces in your house, your laundry room, your closet, butler's pantry. But you talk about how if you make them really special moments, then it, it really takes – it brings a fun element to maybe those chores that um right. you would normally have to do and you wouldn't want to. So I want to know about your laundry room. What does Ray Booth's laundry room look like? <laughs> we, um, we,
3: we, have, um, we have not a large family. It's John and I that really – reside in the house. And so we don't have a huge laundry room. You know, I love doing laundry rooms because I love things that do involve our everyday ritual. And how do we make that as rich and wonderful as it can possibly be? Um, But for our house, for Travelers Ridge, because we, um, the main floor is our living space. So that's our living room, dining, kitchen, what we call the evening room, my little office where I've got a drafting table. The lowest floor, because we're on a hill, um, full daylight, that's all our guest bedrooms. So that's lounge and get the two guest bedrooms. The upper floor is our master, which is all open plan. I mean, we literally don't even have a door to our bedroom. It's It's open to the entry and it's like a barn in some quality <laughs> our john study is up there our master up there in our dressing room and our little laundry which is just off of our dressing room and you know i believe where we can and even in houses where we're doing a large family laundry having a little valet laundry attached to your master you know it's the way we live now do you want to pick it all up? And you want to cart it all somewhere else for somebody else to do the laundry no i'm doing the laundry i've got a pack for my trip i want this pair of jeans i'm throwing them in right they're dry yeah and and then i'm taking them right out and put them in my suitcase and off we go so ours is a very well organized small little what i call a valet laundry we've got a a sink with storage over that a stack washer and dryer and then we've got on the opposite side of that is storage for cleaning products and such.
0: Well, I love and and that same sort of rule applies to your kitchen, which I am obsessed with because <laughs> it doesn't look like a kitchen at all. It just looks like a great surface and it has this beautiful woodwork and tile and but then you have this like dream pantry sort of hidden away that has all of your stuff. So give everybody a little explanation of that because it's so smart.
3: You know as as we were talking about earlier as our spaces are integrating and one blurring the line into the next um people are socially engaging around that kitchen so you know in our house you walk in the entry you come right past the uh the, the living room you go into the kitchen we fix you a drink we've got appetizers that we offer for our guests and such but There is that messy work, you know, there is dishes that are going to be, um, dirtied from the dinner that we're going to have. And instead of landing them right there in that more public and visible space, we create working pantries, which has a sink, which has the dishwasher, which is where we store all of our dirty dishes, uh, gives you that place to land all of that stuff when you're entertaining and, um, and not have it front and center as you're doing dessert course or what have you loved it
0: and your shell. Okay. I just have to call out your shell looks so shallow, which is so smart for, you know, there's like one glass deep. I love that detail. (laughs) Right.
3: That is our everyday stuff. So our coffee mugs, our glasses, and we've got enough for, you know, uh, entertaining 14, 16 people, but it's not just chock-a-block full. Um, we've got another, uh, there's actually this antique Japanese Tansu chest that I've located in the front part of the kitchen, which is all of our more formal serving stuff. And that that, that extra um, uh, china and silverware that you have. But um, the working pantry is where everything that's in and out of there every day is is being used.
2: Mm-hmm. I have another practical question about <laughs> yes. your house. And then we can talk about other houses because you've done a few others. As long
3: as you want, whatever. Question well, okay,
2: I have two, actually. All right. One, you have a round rug in your dining room. What? <laughs> I feel like people kind of hate on round rugs.
3: You know, they do, especially braided round rugs. If you grew up like I did in Huntsville, Alabama, my mother had these colonial braided rugs. Yes. They were usually ovals, which I've got to say I've started doing oval as well. But yeah. um, they were that funny mm-hmm. kind of flat, Um Weren't they
2: wool. made out of rags? I think they were made out Some of, of rags.
3: They were made out of rags as well. Um, you can get them out of wool, but we also had the rag rugs as well. So I think we all got a bad taste in our mouth from those. But there, there are companies now, We we use this one, Colonial Mills, which is incredibly affordable. And they'll do any shape that you want. I actually have a square rug in my downstairs guest room that they did. We did the round rug, actually came from Patterson, Flynn, Martin in, um, in New York. But, um, if you do it in one solid color, it becomes this fun graphic, uh, way of defining mm-hmm. that dining room, which is really engaged in part of the living room and kitchen. So it just, it just defines and holds that space.
2: All right. All right. Here's my <laughs> second practical question about your house in your living room. It appears that you have, um, you, like Caroline said, ginormous windows, floor to ceiling, but one section of them uh, appears to open on sort of a center hinge. Yes. Right? They go like this. So, bugs? No bugs? Do you have screens? What's going on there?
3: You no, know, <laughs> the truth. Um, so, we open it in the spring and in the fall. Um, and we are up. So, the house is up on this hill. Um, and then that particular side of the house. You're literally two stories down from that living room, and the truth is, we've really not had much of a problem with mosquitoes. If you're down on the forest floor, uh, that's where about ten feet up is where is bug zone. Like hey, everybody likes to be there. Now that doesn't include moths, and that doesn't include flies. <laughs> so more than a few, their untimely de- uh, de-
2: demise. Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> flying into our windows. Uh, you know, just to have a house that you can open up, um, I, it was something that I really wanted to explore architecturally. The house has this really wide overhang, which allows uh, that brim to, to cast some shade on the front of the house, uh, especially in on the south side of the house, um, which is all masonry. So it offers a little bit of shade, but it's at an angle. Whereas the sun's lower in the sky during the winter, the sun comes directly into that two-story entry, and we've got the stone floor. It warms up that stone floor, and so you've got this great passive heating. And then, likewise, with these windows that we were talking about on the chimney, I put. I so my um, y'all are all in Atlanta, so maybe you'll appreciate this. My parents were both. Raised uh, in East Point, Georgia. And my grandparents, who I loved dearly, um, they had one of these giant attic fans. Have y'all seen yeah,
2: yeah, in the house,
3: sure. They're all over Atlanta. And so I got one of those and I put it actually—it's on the side of the chimney. So we can flip a switch and it draws the air in from the exterior when we have those windows open. And it does that kind of cooling that that all of that those were put in our houses. It
2: draws it up through your fireplace.
3: Well, no. So so the the uh, big fan is situated on the side of the fireplace, so you don't see it. I like a wind chimney, and uh, it just creates this draw that pulls the cool air in through those windows. And because of the location, again on a hill, we're probably five degrees cooler than it is. Oh, that's so it. nice. So it's just the way that the house starts engaging with its siding and that the decisions that were made design-wise um, are all kind of a product of taking advantage of, of what this particular site offers us.
0: Well, I I love to open the windows, and you're right. I mean it's you know it's fall and spring, but I do just cherish those days where you can open them. Right. I just feel like such a treat. And even if it's only four weeks out of the year it's worth it to
2: me yeah. just to have the windows open mm-hmm. during this four well, weeks well, my husband thinks i'm insane because i won't put the screens up i think they're so ugly I don't like and that. yeah and he's <laughs> just like well that's dumb." And i'm like well i'm just opening the windows whatever and he gets so he doesn't understand it in any way shape or form i mean he's a lawyer <laughs> um but to me like <laughs> well, the air is just a, a different thing. it's well, got a different feeling it's got a different mm-hmm. quality i
3: mean the ions everything So I'm I'm talking to you guys from our house in Provincetown, which is a house that we built as well. And, you know, we designed this house to be a cricket cage. Really, truthfully, we do have screens on this house, but we've done all of these bedrooms, like John's working out on a screen porch there behind me. Um, Every bedroom has a screen porch, and all the windows are these double-hung windows that allow you to drop the upper sash It has a very uh, big overhang here, which they don't typically do on the Cape in Massachusetts. And they were all looking at us cross-eyed, like what's this crazy person from Tennessee doing? But those big overhangs allow us to keep the windows open all season long. We haven't had the air conditioner on once this summer. And if it rains, those big overhangs keep the, the rain from falling in those windows. So you know, a lot of those decisions over how we design Houses and architecture have evolved out of those practicalities, and when we get all you know air conditioned and tight, we we lose some of the reasons that those things ever evolved in the first place.
0: So, this Provincetown house question is this the one that's on your website called Provincetown? Provincetown, that's up. okay. Yeah, because I was looking; um, it's not in your book, and it was I for
3: the book, yeah. Next.
0: But I went to your website and I was like, wait, where was this in the book? I love this one. <laughs> you've got some like amazing blues in there and and there was kind of a little bit more color too than um there were obviously there were projects with color in the book as well right i was like wow this i didn't see this one yeah but i I loved it
3: again the colors born out of the context in which we build you know Mm -hmm. john and i literally were were on the ferry leaving provincetown going back to boston he's originally from boston And that that blue that's in the carpet of that main living room and the ripples that are in that carpet were all determined off that ferry ride. It's like, you know, this this is what we want to anchor our main living room. And by making decisions design-wise that are not arbitrary, that are not random, you know, when we design and we decorate, we think, well, let's do a red room, let's do this. I really think if we can tether those decisions that we make in design, like that carpet, to something that is real and connects you to a place that you're tapping that more emotional and meaningful uh, quality to to anything that you bring into a house, be it a fabric for a sofa, a carpet, uh, a lamp. You know, if, if some of our decisions, if we can have one large guiding decision about where we want Something to go or where we are, then you can make all those choices more easily because it, they're justified.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that thoughtfulness, um, do when it comes to embracing the style of a home with your interiors, mm-hmm. do we do that or do we depart? Like for instance, in your book, you have a room and a. I feel like it, you know, it's sort of maybe a, a fifties a or seventies home. It's hard to tell, but it had mahogany trim. You embraced that. You didn't paint over that mahogany trim. Right, you right. put dark walls and you kind of like went full in. But then you had other examples where you did paint wood trim, or like for instance, in your Baltimore house, you it was a very classic home and you really played that up, but you said you went a little more sleek and clean with the furniture. So which way do we go? You know,
3: the For every zig, there's got to be a zag. (laughs) So I think it is so important in this work to pay attention, to look around, to hear, whether that be hear what a space has to tell you, hear what a client has to tell you, um, to get to know where you are and who you're doing this for. And take those cues as inspiration. You know, for for any of us as designers to just go in and have a big ego and just say, we're going to rip all this out. and We're going to do this, that and the other. To me, that's always not not the best answer because you're missing an opportunity to learn something new. You know, if you pay attention to that mahogany trim, which I never would have put into a house, but it's like, OK, this person has bought this. They don't want to rip it out. How do we respond to it decoratively? Uh, in a way that makes it, um, gives it um, resonance and makes it feel appropriate. So I think it's just about listening and paying attention and taking your design decisions and cues from those realities.
0: There's a line in, it's one of the first lines of the book. And I just want to read it for everyone because I think it was so, you know, concise and I just loved it. You said the process of design seeks to find a marriage or at least a commonality between the two components of each residence, the person and the place. And I I mean, I think there's so many examples where someone has bought a house that they didn't actually like the house, but they liked the location or the right. size or whatever. And they, like you said, just tore it all out. But I love what you're saying about, you know, like if you buy a 50s ranch and you try to turn it into a farmhouse... It's not gonna make sense, you Problem. know, like it's never right. So you have to, you it know, maybe you can little. use some farmhouse mm-hmm. details somewhere, like a I don't know, rustic wood chair, right. but it's you yeah. can't
3: it, it is, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. And in any of this work, and for anybody, whether you're doing it for yourself or you're you're doing it for somebody, You want it to have staying power. You want it to have a timelessness. For that reason, we've got to acknowledge where we're at. I mean, in society, politically, everything, we got to acknowledge where we're at, people. And design is the same thing. We've got to um, say, if this is a little ranch burger, well, how do I make this the best ranch burger that it's got to be? I'm not going to turn it into some colonial um, estate. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, now that you've been... I assume I'm assuming. Excuse me, I that you've been living in your spaces more than ever before. I'm sure you were traveling <laughs> and busy. Um, have you really appreciated your work? Um,
3: yeah. You know.
0: Oh God, you better say yes. What right? right. <laughs> would you have changed?
3: I mean, I, I feel so grateful and and humbled to have these places. Um, you know, at a time where so many people have not, and I think of. Many of my dearest friends who live in New York City, one bedroom apartment, or some of them even in a studio apartment, and have been quarantining there if they couldn't get out to you know their parents homes or wherever, so many people have not had the good fortune in in this country. and so we're very grateful and humbled to have had these homes to to ride it out.
2: How do your houses differ from each other? You know, you have New York, where you are now in Nashville. How are they different?
3: So in much the way, same way we were talking before, um, they are products of context. So Nashville's born out of that hilltop and the windows to open to that view that uh, you see the beautiful atmospheric blue mountains in the distance. And that becomes the sofa fabric um, in New York City we look out over Broadway. Um, We've got this great ninth floor apartment and uh, we look literally straight down Broadway towards Madison Square Park. And so it is more city. It's more elegant. The notes that are played are less, for us, less antique uh, notes. They're a little more, it's a little more contemporary. It's a little more clean line. It's a little quieter in that the city is so usually, hmm, Full of noise and full of life. And so having a little more of a zen, quiet space, um, it's all white. The walls are white. I've draped the entire uh, perimeter walls in white drapery. So it's just, it's this ethereal, quiet zen apartment.
0: So Kind of back to this unusual time that we're living in, um, I was wondering if there are any conversations you and McAlpine in general are having about how home is changing and are there any things that you're excited to, you know, work into your, um, into your designs or things that your clients are asking for that you think is going to be changing, you know, maybe even permanently about the way we live in our spaces?
3: Well, I think maybe we're so in the midst of it, I don't know the the full answer of that. But I do think and it is evidenced by, you know, somehow work is still going forward for us, knock knock wood and is abundant, in large part because I think more and more people have spent so much time at home and they're not able to travel. And so they're thinking about home and how to make it the very best that it can possibly be at this time. And, and I think maybe in that, and this is maybe hopeful thinking, that we're going to be looking for more authenticity to our homes. Mm-hmm. not a show place. It's the real um, vessel that contains your family, your love, your hopes, your sorrows, and so I think it's ever more important where we've spent so much time in our homes for it to be real, as mm-hmm. true as it can be.
0: Yeah. it's. Just, I mean, like, I think we've had this sort of talked about this just amongst ourselves. Just it's in some ways, I think decorating can seem like such a frivolous um you know it is a luxury and it's a lot of people my question like why are you like what's the point right. but i think for to your to your point in a time like this it really makes you appreciate this beautiful space that you've built for yourself or had someone help you create for you um because like you said it it is the bedrock yes. of your everyday the life, life. life. Mm-hmm. so yeah
3: in in doing this work you know at times i have felt very guilty Um, because of the work we get to do. But I do honestly believe it has importance and resonance to the well-being of our inner selves and that our homes are a reflection of that inner self that we offer to the world. It's kind of like, here I am. Here's, And that's, again, why it's important for it to be as authentic and true as it can be. It's it is your offering. It's your turning of your heart out into um, three dimensions and and inviting people into it.
1: So emotional. I, and we, we yeah. talk about. I mean, I feel like, and I'm sure you do too. It's like it's that emotional connection too when you have people over and that whole bond of you know really being there for people and showing them your best side and also your right. real side too. So your
3: real side and and how that space can encourage that intimacy. You know, it's, there's mm-hmm. math involved to this. It's how far that chair sits from that sofa and how far that table is to accommodate a cocktail or coffee. Mostly cocktails. Um, <laughs> whatever whatever <laughs> your libation may be to to engage this social interaction, be it with family or friends. There's, there's rhyme and reason and math to it.
2: I was going to say, well, you do talk about light, uh, magic elixir, and any successful design. You refer to it as liquid luxury. How does light play mm-hmm. a part in that? So you've got spatial stuff and proportion and how far things are apart from each other, but then layer and light. Tell us why that's so important.
3: Well, light, um, you know, w- when we design um, architecturally or or with an interior you know we talked about already the drapery and the quality not being so heavy but even in architecture and, and thinking about the scale of windows and how much light is allowed into the heart of a home when light comes in it, it is that magic elixir it is the happiness it is god's spirit and joy and let's face it i don't know many people who don't um respond happily to light and sunshine Mm -hmm. and it's it is our you know on many levels our god um as well and so i think finding those opportunities to allow it to be abundant in our homes and interiors is is
2: so are you mostly speaking of natural light
3: i'm speaking mostly Mm -hmm. to natural light I, i do think you know it It just changes everything and you know how it changes from one season to the next um it it um it's it's the secret sauce
0: (laughs) 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 okay so i want to get back the you mentioned a minute ago like um there's so many numbers that are sort of fixed like um how far this should be your coffee table from your sectional or your light fixture. Okay. And there was a room that I have a question about, and this is purely for my own purposes <laughs> because I'm struggling with yeah, this. We do Caroline. this every episode. <laughs> yeah. It's all about me. No, I'm kidding. Um, but there's a room in your book that I have so many questions about because it was a dining room and you turned it into an intimate family room. And of course, like there was all these drapes too, but, um, if you kind of look at the picture, um, I don't want to say cramped because that impl- that's a negative, but it was so cozy and it, it, the sectional almost filled wall to wall and, you know, the club chair was really tucked in there and it looked like you sort of um, pulled things a little closer together than maybe you would have in any other room. So I'm wondering when can we do that? And like, what I guess how should we know when we've overfilled the room, and when can we maybe (laughs) stretch the size? Yeah, this you know get something a little bigger than we had than we thought could fit.
3: Well, it goes it goes back to on some level um, context and function. So that that particular space that you're referring to, this was an existing house that we've uh, been asked to come in and design for long longstanding lovely clients. Uh, in Nashville and when you're working with an existing house sometimes you need to turn everything on its ear um, Bobby McAlpin my part business partner is magic about this about you know making uh, the dining room in, into the entry you know it's like just give people uh, a disorientation in a good way so that they discover something new and it's it's unusual So this particular space was a dining room that was adjacent to a living space. We made it a lounge and took a library that's on the other side and made it the dining room. So um, in that particular space, we knew that was where it was kind of the evening room. It was where the family was going to pile up. It's right off the kitchen. Uh, They're going to pile up. They're going to watch movies together. And it was one of their directives from us. They wanted it to be a really luxurious, comfortable, cozy space. So that told us, and really, you know, all of our work starts in plan form. So we lay out the sofa to scale and we know exactly what the math is going to allow us to do and what it's not going to do and made the decisions for the furnishings according to that. And, um, you know, it even went down to the wall covering in that room. It's a beautiful Philip Jeffries wall covering that gradients at the bottom and then slowly fades to light at the top. So, it also kind of creates a little bit of that intimacy in the space. Um, So, I think it's thinking about the function, studying it in plan so that you get the math right is always important. Um, You know, I also believe that sometimes in the smallest of rooms, you don't go in and you put small furniture. Sometimes the smallest of the room needs the largest gesture. And it, in a strange way, can make those small little spaces feel more gracious and more special you know in a small entryway maybe you don't do a teeny tiny little console if you've got the room and if the math allows you stretch it out you've got room for lamps and it's just it's a broader more welcoming gesture
2: mm-hmm. okay well on the opposite end of the spectrum you have a couple <laughs> dining rooms in there that have multiple dining areas like up to yes. three or four dining tables. Okay. Yes. What? <laughs> no one. Tell us the impetus behind that.
0: Do they well, have a butler?
2: I think
3: uh, it's a- they Don't have a butler. No. Um, but the, the one I think you're referring to in particular is um, is a client in Austin, Texas. This was a house that we did a gut renovation addition to, and. The dining space was fairly large that we had to work with. It was the former kitchen. We moved the kitchen to the front side of, uh, well, it's actually the back of the house. So we we reassigned the rooms in much the way we were just describing. But this particular uh, couple had spent time in Washington, D.C. and had a love of uh, Thomas Jefferson's house, Monticello. And his house, you know, it does all these tricks. It... it um, He's got a bed that you can wake up on one side and go into one room or you can wake up on the other. So this particular family does a lot of entertaining and love the formality that they had seen there in Virginia. And so he challenged us. He's like, sometimes we're going to have big dinner parties and sometimes we're going to have small little intimate dinners. So have at it. So we designed this room, and it's got um, drapery that kind of houses. Uh, Two small little dining areas that have a round banquette and just a couple chairs, so that you could have, you could break a big dinner party down and have separate tables and then one large table that floats in the middle of the room. But you can also take those tables apart, and the math allowed us to marry the demi loons that were the round tables onto the ends of that big table. And you can have a big giant family Thanksgiving dinner. So it was, you know, it was transformers meets interiors. <laughs> how, do you, how do you percolate it and, and allow variety and layers um, for the room to work in different ways that, that the clients want?
0: Mm-hmm. Smart. That makes sense. Because is there anything more awkward than being at a huge 12-person table with just like four yeah, people? It's so true. weird.
3: So weird, you know, and that's that is a thing I think we all have to think about in interiors is is how do we layer in the function and the int- intimacy for two as we would for right. to ten.
2: And mm-hmm. I thought one of the dining rooms have, that you had multiples in, you did have a couple chairs by a fireplace, maybe or something with a small table for two that was in the dining yes, room as well. Am I making that
3: know, up? How lovely for a small intimate dinner for. You and your husband or, or a close friend, what have you. Um, I, I think the more we can layer in different types of seating and function into a space, the more alive a space is. You know, we've all been in our parents' dining rooms where there's a dining table and it seats eight and that's all it's ever set for. And that room's dead as a doornail. So trying to break it up, you know, biasing that table to the side, having a small little set tea in a lounge uh there, a uh, tea height table allows you a different way to go to maybe even go in there with your laptop and a cup of coffee and we want to layer different types of function into our room so that they're living spaces. Mm-hmm.
2: Smart.
1: That's so smart. Because then we use them. And
3: because then right. we use them. And they're not dead. And you don't need as much space as you think, you know. Um, we've always said, you know, build it as small as you can stand to build it. And using those different little um, devices or tricks allows even a smaller home or space to to have multiple functions.
0: Mm-hmm. Your projects are so imaginative. They're so bold. Um, they're at times very out of the box. Um, and I was wondering if there's ever, I mean, are you ever nervous? Are you ever like, this might not work? I just don't know. Tell us about a challenge Always. and how you worked through it. <laughs>
3: Um I don't know if I have a specific um, example, but the truth is I don't always want to ever have it all figured out in life or in design and when we are met with a challenge from a client that a client has to offer or a particular space has to offer and you don't know exactly what the answer is, part of the beauty is born out of the discovery out of um, working it out and not having the answer. So I, I welcome any of those challenges. They make our work better. You know, once we think we've got it all figured out and we just go in and we snap our fingers and we do this, that, and the other, I, I, I don't think it necessarily has the same um, possibility for mm-hmm. discovery mm-hmm. and evolution.
2: Yeah. Boring. Yes, boring. boring. <laughs> well, you, you don't want to do the same thing over and over. If it's all figured yeah. out, then.
3: No. You know, and that, that is in this, I, I I hearken back to Bobby. He He's always been a listener. His ability to listen and hear is what allows his work to have such beauty and resonance and evolve. And, and that's something that I think he's in. Uh, instilled in all of us, uh, that work at McAlpin. Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like that's a, just a good lesson, even to those of us who are doing it for ourselves, just listening to your family members, listening to mm-hmm. yourself and just trying to kind of dig deeper to your earlier point about it being, you know, an ex being more authentic to who you are and, and not worrying so much about what's on Pinterest. Like, Obviously, go buy Ray's book and get some inspiration out of it. But you know, you don't have to build Travelers Ridge for yourself if that's not going to be an authentic experience for you. Yeah,
3: yeah, I, I think it's important for everyone to find what is that inner truth about who they are and who their family is and how that's different than anybody else. Let's stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. You, you know, everyone has. Just as much um, every family is just as special as as any other client that we get to work with. And on any level, um, I think it's it's really important for us to get back to that authentic self and trust ourselves and and work from there.
2: Yeah. And our needs don't make us broken. I feel like so many people don't want to admit what they need for their family. Oh, my kids are so messy. Or my husband likes to eat dinner in front of the football game, whatever, who cares? Like, what's solved to that?
3: It's Mm -hmm. that challenge that we were just talking about. It's just an opportunity. You know, there lies your opportunity, your challenge. How do I solve that riddle? What kind of storage can I accommodate for my messy kids? Doesn't mean they're always going to do it, but you should make them because they need to learn discipline. <laughs> right. um, but um, really, truthfully, um,
2: we we believe you. I'm in. Yes, yeah,
0: we're in. We're they're going to clean um, them after discipline. themselves
2: eventually. So
0: eventually,
3: let's let's do our make work. it a,
2: make it a game in the beginning, and then they'll do it.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and give them a place to do it. You yeah. know, you can't blame them if if we've not given them the accommodation that would allow them.
1: Okay. Well, our question is from Amelia today and she writes, hi all. Well, I'm emailing again, Caroline, I cannot thank you enough for the advice from my prior email. I've painted the entryway wedgewood gray as you suggested and it looks much better. I've gone off on a painting and decorating tangent much to my husband's dismay. It's always it's always the case right? Yes. Our entire downstairs has now been repainted. Powder room is hail navy, open concept living room or living accessible beige and many other rooms upstairs painted too. All that is left is our master bedroom and our youngest son's room. My current dilemma is to is what to do with the master. I have the Celine rug and cream in there, and a grayish, slightly blue duvet and shams, and two mercury glass lamp space, bases. All that I'd like to keep in the room. The current shades on the lamps are the darker in the photo of are the darker in the photo of the entry below. I heard y'all talking about Schumacher, and have now done so much design research that I came across. Pine, hollyhock, and charcoal, and fell in love. It's expensive. However, I had a small accent pillow cover made on Etsy and was able to snag a fabric remnant 136 inches by 18 inches wide, also in the hollyhock charcoal off of Etsy. Do you need to Ooh. take a breather?
3: <laughs> You're
0: like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would love to. Have two gathered lampshades made from the fabric to coordinate with the accent pillow. Thoughts on this? My other questions are I would prefer a different drapery in here, velvet maybe, but not sure what color. Also, I was thinking of painting the walls Trade Wind by Sharon Williams. It's a bluer gray than the bedding, but not sure. Any and all help and opinions are much appreciated.
2: All right. So, Ray, before you solve her problem, which is oh her lampshade,
3: solve it.
2: Yes, you are. Her <laughs> lampshade, you can do it, easy peasy. Her drapery and, um, I think that was it, paint. I'm just going to quickly describe the room. It's very, um, um, I would say it's a serene bedroom. It's all very neutral. Looks like it has um, wall-to-wall carpet that's cream or beige or something. Um, she does have our Celine rug, which is a, sort of a tone-on-tone, neutral, animal um, Print under the foot of the bed uh, extends up to the nightstands. She's got matching nightstands and matching, like she mentioned, mercury glass sort of candlestick lamps. Right now they have drum linen shades, and then she has um, a very softly scalloped uh, upholstered headboard that has a wood frame. Um, and then, like she said, her bedding is sort of a blue gray, looks like sort of a rumpled linen or maybe a matelassé coverlet at the end. Um, and her drapery, which Um, is in uh, the corner. So she has a corner that has a window that abuts up to the window that is in the other corner. Does that make sense? It's sort of, they're perpendicular and they kind of go into each other there in the corner. And she has some shears on there right now with French return drapery hardware. So I guess her three questions are, what should she do with her drapery? Should she use this little pattern as an accent pillow and make little pleated shades? And what color should her walls go? And do you have any Um, other suggestions, Ray?
3: Wow, let me see. Hmm.
2: I know you're not going to want velvet on her drapery, are you?
3: I was going to say, let's start with with the drapery. I, I do personally feel like um, a lighter drapery is, is going to allow the light to come in. And for the same reasons we talked about earlier, inhabit the room and, and not feel so heavy. If you've got to have the blackout option, um, instead of a velvet shade, maybe you look to a Roman shade that can give you that kind of um, blackout and light control. As far as the, the patterned fabric, I would encourage you to not put it on the shades. Let's think lamps are for light. And I would I always like to have the crispness and the brightness of a white, be it a linen shade or a silk shade, um, rolled edge, a little quieter, a little crisper than a gathered fabric shade. I would Think if you're going to use that accent um, fabric, we don't usually do little pillows on our beds. But think of almost a king size pillow in a little bit longer. If you've got that breadth of fabric, don't chop it up into little bits and pieces. Use it to its full glory. Like get a big pillow out there. Um,
2: Do you like those long? um, It's almost like a lumbar height, but goes all the way across the bed. Do you like those? Yeah. Most
3: often we do that in the... Nobody wants the three, you know, if you've got a king size bed, the three Euro pillows and all of the effort that we've got to take the pillows off in our sleeping pillows. So we'll often do just regular sleeping pillows and one large accent pillow that you can toss off in the corner. Um, but it gives you the ability to use that beautiful fabric that you like to um, its full extent. You know, you're not chopping it up. So I would say more bang for the buck. Um, and then, color-wise, so it sounds like there's some creams, some neutrals, and some fairly light blues in there. You know, I, I think maybe, as you've got, the rug is kind of a cream pattern, that animal kind of print, is that right? But it's fairly neutral. I think I might find your walls to be the opportunity to bring some color to the room. So if you want a little bit of that blue. I'm not sure of the exact blue that you're working with, but maybe it's a lighter tone or shade of of the blue that you already have in the room. But Maybe that becomes the opportunity to have a little bit of color and that would allow uh, certainly the white shades to pop against a little bit of color if you maybe went to fairly light, gauzy drapery and all of that contrast will help animate the space a little bit.
2: Uh, well, her drapery that she has there now, it, you know, they're shears, and I don't dislike them. I just feel like they're, there's not enough fabric. Okay. You know, they're mm-hmm. kind of pulled mm-hmm. so they don't seem full. Mm-hmm. Um, and if she had twice as many yeah. of the same thing, I think it would be pretty. You know, um, and like you mm-hmm. said, if she had a light issue, you could hide a roller shade behind those or whatever.
3: Right. Yeah. Again, timid drapes always feel you. They leave I'm you. Timid. A Good bit word. Walk. Go for gusto. Like, like, get a little bit more fabric and a little more movement to it. Um, will will kind of help the space. I would think a little bit. Yeah. More.
0: Talk to me about the tones in this room because I feel like that's where I'm struggling for, with her because she has the more cool toned kind of gray duvet, but then everything else is more of a warm toned, and I. You're the master, so you know how to do this. But I feel like it's hard to combine sometimes those cool-toned colors with the warm tone. If it's not really intentional, it just it kind of looks haphazard. Like, how do you, you know, do that? A lot of yeah. times
3: for us, uh, and I don't know the specific. Um, I think it's a Schumacher fabric that she's working with. But those patterns become the real opportunity to meld what might feel like a disparate um, palette. Right. So if, if it mm-hmm. indeed has some of those warm tones and some of those cool tones, it's pulling it all together. Uh, a lot of times our carpets yeah. also are those kind of tools and, and artwork, you know, artwork can do that too, because I do think you always want, if you're marrying two seemingly different um, tones, you want there to be opportunities that, um, that accommodate them together in a way that makes it feel purposeful yeah
0: Yeah. that Mm -hmm. makes sense that and i do think that fabric has some of both so that is her solution she already has her own solution. she already thought about it
2: amelia you're so smart well thank you for your help see we told you you could do it right you're good at this
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's like you do this for a living (laughs) i've made a career out of it you should look into it crazy
3: you know it, it, it is hard to do when you don't know the person and you know that's right her likes and wants would be and you want to be sensitive um, to that. So true. Yeah, mm-hmm. Helpful.
2: We're gonna send her your number. It'll be fine. Okay, good. Not
0: your address, just your phone number. So. Right. Mm. <laughs> well, can you tell everyone um, where to find you, follow you, and Obviously, they got to go buy your book, which I imagine they can get on Amazon. Amazon
3: uh, still has the book. Uh, Certainly, it is again from Rizzoli. And if everyone would like to follow any of the work that we do, I try to, with my second cup of coffee, um, I do my (laughs) post on Ray Booth Design, which is uh, on Instagram. And that's an extension out of the McAlpin firm, which we also have a McAlpin. Uh, website and Macalpin House is that website. And uh, lastly I do have a Raybooth design website which is an offshoot of Macalpin which just has more of um, some of the the projects that I've done uh, as, as well as the product lines which uh, we're kind of expanding with Hickory chair and uh, Arteriors, and there's a fabric line in production and so you can kind of follow and find all that stuff there.
2: And the name of your book is evocative interiors thank
3: you yes mm-hmm. that's, yeah.
2: oh that's, that's important, beautiful me. <laughs> yeah. 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 well worth it you guys lots of beautiful yes. inspiration thank you. Mm-hmm. definitely thank you Ray
3: so fun you guys yeah thank y'all for for speaking with me
2: oh we had a great time it was, it
3: was fun
0: yes Wonderful. oh my gosh it was such a pleasure to look through all of your work and everything so. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcastballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, follow us on
2: social media at Ballard Designs. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.